Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. In this Meet the Expert episode, Managing Editor Brian Gorman interviews Arif Harbot, co-author of The Hero Playbook, the step-by-step guide for delivering large-scale change. We hope you enjoy this installment of the Change Management Review Podcast. Hello, this is Brian Gorman, Managing Editor of Change Management Review. Our guest today is Arif Harbat, partner at Alex Partners in London, UK. Welcome, Arif. Thanks for having me, Brian. Why don't we begin by uh, having you introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your background, and then we're going to jump into your hero model for transformation. Sure, absolutely. So I've been in change and transformation my entire career. It's been an absolute fascination and a passion of mine. I've worked in small startups. Uh, Early part of my career, I I worked in startups. I really enjoyed that part of my career and then um, founded a company which did successful, did quite successful and uh, got to a point halfway through my career, about 30 years old, and I was like, wow, I've done startups for a while. I don't really know what to do with my life. And it kind of occurred around the same time as my first son was born. And I decided to go and do an MBA with the vision that I would move out of change and move into something more grandiose, like being a CFO or something like that. But uh, after my MBA, I just realized that I just love change. I love transformation. And then I moved away from startups and did that in much larger companies, um, companies of like 100,000 people, 150,000 people in um, FTSE 100 companies, um, very large global companies. Um, so I've been doing transformation and change my entire career. I've done over a billion dollars in transformational change. So I've really seen what works and what doesn't work. I've seen huge amounts of patterns. I've seen lots of failures. I've seen lots of successes. And I've tried to bring this all together into, as you mentioned, the HERO transformation framework. So HERO is an acronym, it is. which stands for what? Stands for Hypothesis Executed Results Observed. So in change, Everything that you do is a hypothesis. It's a guess. It's an idea. When you think about a program or a project, no one can see into the future. So it's very much a hypothesis. Executed is obviously delivering on that hypothesis. Um, So you have to deliver on the change program or the, the, the project. And then you observe the results that you have generated. And then you go again. And it's that constant loop. It's very much model on plan, do, check, act. Um, where you're doing something, you're learning from the results, you're seeing what worked, and you're trying to keep that cycle very short. You don't want to wait three years before you see the results from something. You're trying to keep it very short to mitigate risk. So what is the difference between the hero model and agile change management? So agile is a it's a brilliant philosophy, something that I've been using my entire career. But it, it agile is, for me, is around when you want to deliver. Obviously, it was designed for software delivery. It's great when you want to deliver a, a specific project. It doesn't really give you a framework and a methodology set of roles and processes for managing a very large transformation program. And I think that's what we've seen is we're very happy to use agile uh, when we move into transformation delivery. But what we're seeing is that there was a, a lot of gaps and a lot of mistakes made when trying to deliver a program, a large transformational program. And if you read the press and just from my own experience, about seven out of 10 transformations fail. So we believe that we wanted to codify what we, we knew such that more transformations could be successful. 
you talk about hero in terms of a playbook versus a methodology. Why is that? I think from a, a and this is just a, a personal point of view, myself and my my co-writer of the book, uh, Kurt Mulligan, we we really were frustrated with a lot of the change management books um, being quite high level, not very detailed. I mean, they painted a, a very nice picture of change, but they didn't really give you the specifics. If you wanted to read some change management books and then next day go and try and run a program, we felt that they weren't detailed enough. They weren't really giving people the nuts and bolts of exactly what to do. Here's step one. Here's step two. Here's how you run a meeting. Here are the people that you need. Here's what they should be doing. If things go wrong, this is how you should approach it. So we really wanted to get, when we say playbook, we mean a, a step-by-step guide as opposed to like an American football playbook. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you. And, and you say Hero is not about soft change. What do you mean by that? So yeah, this this is where we perhaps differ from some of the other kind of change management frameworks. I mean, we first of all, what do you define as soft change? I mean, for us, this is things like culture, communications, conflict between people. Our, our approach is very much around the delivery of value. Everything that you should do in your transformation should tie back to your transformation objective. It should tie back to some generation of value. So our approach is that until the soft side of change blocks the delivery of value, we do not worry about it. It's not to say it's not important. We kind of take a just-in-time approach to manage it. And I can give you an example of that. So we worked in a transformation a few years ago where we had a, a software delivery team and they didn't have anywhere to collaborate in an office. And they were in an open plan area. It was disrupting the teams. They weren't getting the levels of productivity that they wanted. And so we asked facilities. We said, hey, can we have a, uh, an office? Um, and they said, No. And so we're like, well, okay, well, that's not good. So the way we approach that is we would quantify, so where we talk about blockers, we would quantify the value of that change not being delivered. So let's say you've got a 12 million pound project and you can work out a per day cost or a per month cost. And you can go to facilities and have a much more open conversation and say, hey, look, you are blocking $12 million worth or pounds worth of value. We really need an office that's going to cost you $1,000 a month or something. And you can have that much better conversation. Unfortunately, in this program, they we, we, weren't, we weren't kind of using that methodology at the time. And they basically said, yes, you can have an office. It took six months and then it was only as, it was only big enough for half the team. So obviously you're blocking that value for such amount of time. And this is one of the biggest killers of transformations. It's not unblocking these systematic things that are impacting the delivery of value. In the Hero Transformation Playbook, you actually identify five blockers. Could you talk a little bit about what those are? Yeah, I mean, we call them the five dysfunctions of transformations. Um, and I, I can go through them briefly, each one of them. So the first one is not focusing on value. Um, we have a very value-driven mindset. We've talked about this a little bit already. Everything in the transformation, every activity, project, meeting should be focused on the delivery of value and prioritizing the activities or projects that have the largest impact on value. We see a lot of transformations that just don't do that. The second one I just touched on, the second dysfunction is not removing blockers. And blockers are the kind of hidden killer of transformations. And we believe it should be leadership's number one priority to help resolve blockers. And we can talk about two-way accountability later. But the uh, second one is not removing blockers. Third one seems unbelievably obvious, but the amount of times we see this is not having metrics or a lack of metrics. Um, it's almost like driving a transformation blindfolded. It's absolutely essential that your outcomes are really quantifiable and you have kind of mechanism to be able to allow you to see if you're on course or not and make course adjustments. 
The fourth dysfunction is a poor transformation vision. If the vision isn't strong enough, if it's not well understood, if obviously if it's not measurable, um, if your organization doesn't buy into it, then change is really hard, as you know. It's very unlikely that people are actually going to move and change the way an organization works if the vision is poor. And then the last dysfunction is lack of board sponsorship. I mean, if the board doesn't fully buy into it, if it's a nice to have to them, if they're not fully accountable or it's not tied into their incentive structure, it's unlikely they'll make the tough decisions when the going gets tough. A moment ago, you mentioned two-way accountability. Can you tell us how Hero addresses that? Yeah, two-way accountability is absolutely fundamental in our model. And it's something that, if not unique, it's not very often talked about. And, and, and the two-way accountability works like this. And you often see one-way accountability is the first bit I'll talk about. And this is leadership holding the delivery teams accountable for the delivery, successful delivery of a program. Think of a big stick. I mean, it's not always like that, but it's it's the leadership hitting the delivery team saying, we need this delivered. You're not meeting the targets. You're not hitting budget. Um, but two-way accountability is where the delivery teams hold leadership accountable for removing impediments or blockers that get in the way of the delivery of value. So it's very much a two-way accountability. Leadership saying, hey, we really need you to deliver these benefits and this value. And the delivery team saying, absolutely, we'll do that. But you need to get me in office. You need to help me um, with this person not attending meetings. Or there's a team that needs to be restructured and we need legal support and legal are really busy or whatever it might be. So things outside of the, the transformation team's control they get escalated. You have this two-way accountability, which we think is is absolutely essential for success. I'm really interested in that topic. A few years ago, I, I actually did a uh, video on the 10 most important lessons I've learned in change, hmm. one of which is be of service, don't be servile. And what you're talking about, that one-way accountability is is what we see more often than not in change management. How do you establish that two-way accountability up front? So, I mean, it's, it's kind of baked into the model, but, but there are certain governance structures that we have, things like what we call the blockers backlog. Uh, the blockers backlog is where the delivery teams, they find impediments or things that are blocking the delivery of value that they cannot manage. These are immediately escalated to the transformation lead, the people in charge of the transformation. And then we have these regular cadence of meetings, um, the two most important being the transformation accountability meeting, the TAM, and the workstream accountability week meeting, the WAM. And at the TAM, this is done once a month. And in built into that agenda and into that forum is the transformation leaders giving an update on the blockers and the delivery team saying, well, We'd like an update on this blocker or when are you going to do that? So it, it's very much the, the forum is within that kind of monthly management meeting where both sides are holding each other accountable. So it's built into the structures. How difficult do you find it to get leaders to buy in and, and actually do their job? <sighs> yeah, I mean, obviously it varies by organization. Sometimes it's incredibly difficult. Um, and, and this is where we came back to if the transformation doesn't have strong vision, it doesn't have strong board buy-in. I mean, obviously, if you're a leader and your incentives, your bonus, your share options are tied into the success of the transformation, then yeah, you're going to move heaven and earth to get this done. If you've publicly stated to analysts that you're going to have this transformation complete and it's going to have all these great benefits, you're going to get it done. And I think in those instances, it's much easier to have this two-way accountability. If the transformations are nice to have or a vanity project or isn't clearly I think have a clear business case or I mean it's just it's just not really essential 
then yeah, it's much, much, much harder. So I think it's about that upfront design is so important to to getting this buy-in and understanding that the, the leadership has as equal a role to play in delivery success as the delivery teams. When we were talking about recording this this podcast, one of my notes is, I believe, a quote from you, governance is prescriptive. Yeah, the, the, the governance that we have in, in the Hero Transformation Framework is, I mean, whilst it will work uh, around, I mean, large organizations always have change management functions, capabilities. So our governance is, is pretty prescriptive. Um, we set out the topics in the meetings. We give you artifacts of templates. Uh, I mean, obviously, you can tailor these, but th- these are based on a billion dollars worth of change that we've done. So we, we believe that everything in there is there for a reason. We've spent the last five years honing this process to a point that we believe that we've taken all the fluff out of it. So we we, we are quite prescriptive. And, it, and there are some things that we absolutely have that are non-negotiable. Everything must be tied back to the delivery value two-way accountability, having these governance forums where people can hold leadership accountable and where the the leadership can steer the transformation, having very clear metrics to steer the transformation. We are militant about these things because we know they are absolutely critical to transformation success. Can you talk more about how you work with organizations that already have their change management function in place? And very often when that's the case, change practitioners who see outsiders as coming in to try to step on their territory. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is partly why we write the book is we want to give people their own handbook so they can do great transformational change that's successful without our help. So in theory, you can read the book and, and, and do this by yourselves. And that's kind of what we wanted to do. But you're right. I mean, it is, it is difficult when a company has or an organization has a very strong change management function already to come in and say, well, well there are some things that you're missing or... Uh, there are some areas here that we've seen these common pitfalls time and again, and you're falling into them. I mean, we just use a lot of anecdotes, a lot of stories, a lot of data to try and persuade them. But ultimately, it, every company has to choose whether they want to try and adopt some of these. And we generally just start small if you can. You try and take a small area, uh, try and show that it works, get some quick wins or maybe some not so quick wins and show that it's working and then try and roll it out because success breeds success. And often companies are looking for um, areas of, of, of kind of success before they start to adopt it. So we can do this on a smaller uh, scale before moving up to a much larger scale, because which is risky, right? Um, doing everything big bang is, is more risky. I have my own thinking about this, but how often do you find when there is a change management approach in place that things are missing? <laughs> I mean, almost always, most organizations will hit one of those five dysfunctions. I mean, probably 99% of the time they will hit one of those five dysfunctions that I outlined earlier. Um, it, it's it's surprising. I mean, not focusing on value is probably the biggest one. I mean, the amount of transformation, I mean, I, I worked at a, a did transformation at a very large bank and they brought us in, they'd spent $10 million. Um, they had a huge program team and they brought us in because they said, hey, we're not delivering the benefits that we said we would in our business case. And we said, okay, fine, that's pretty common. We, we can help you with that. And we came in and we said, okay, right, what are you trying to do? What is the objective? And they were like, we want to make things better. We're like, okay, everyone does. That's great. Good, good objective. But what does better mean? Tumbleweed, like absolute tumbleweed. Uh, and and they've been, they spent $10 million and they had a huge program team. And so in less than half a day, we very quickly showed them, well, this is actually what you're trying to do. I mean, they were actually trying to um, better to them actually meant higher quality software for a team 
um, further down the food chain. And we were like, have you actually spoken to this team? Do you know what high quality or better means? And they were like, no. So, I mean, it's, it, I mean, I, I almost feel embarrassed to say it's so obvious. Uh, a lot of the things we have in the book, you almost read them and go, well, that's obvious, that's obvious. But often obvious doesn't equate to common practice, which is what we're seeing. If it did, we wouldn't have to have written the book. I'm on board with you. Uh, <laughs> you talk about roles in transformation. The one that most interests me is that of transformation lead. Yeah. What is the transformation lead? Where do they sit in an organization? What are some of the skills and behaviors that are required of that individual? Sure. I mean, the transformation lead in our model is the most senior person in the transformation. They are the one who is accountable for delivering the outcomes of the transformation success. So it's the most senior role. This is a person with enormous gravitas. Um, it's a very, very senior role. We always recommend, if possible, this person comes from inside the organization. It's very hard to do this as an external because the amount of influence and gravitas that you will need through a very difficult change management process. I mean, transformation is really hard. I mean, really hard. You don't want to compound that by having someone who's having to create relationships, who doesn't understand the business, who doesn't have the kind of credibility. It, it just, we, we always recommend it someone internally. I mean, this person is, as we talked about, they're responsible for delivering transformation success, the tr delivering what we call the transformation outcome. They're responsible for resolving items in the blockers backlog. We talked about that two-way accountability. Um, they're accountable for managing the transformation investment. So they basically hold the keys on the business case. They're the ones that are checking that business case often. We can come back and talk about um, <laughs> upfront planning if you want, because uh, I've got a strong point of view on that. They're accountable for chairing the transformation accountability meeting, which is the most senior governance meeting in the framework. Um, this person is very much about influencing very commercial what I would call extreme ownership. Um, this is a, a term I learned from, um, I think it was a Navy SEAL, uh, talking about whatever happens in the, in the transformation, they take full responsibility and accountability. They don't blame anyone else. They take full responsibility and accountability. And that's so important if you want an open and transparent culture within your transformation. They have to be very resilient, calm under pressure. Uh, and in my view, they have to be bold because changing an organization, working against the grain of maybe 100 years, perhaps, of some of these organizations, it's really hard. And you have to be bold uh, and, and you have to be calm under pressure. So that person is, is really a change practitioner extraordinaire, if you will, not necessarily the chief operating officer or the CEO. No, I, I, think, I think it is, in my view, they're 70% business and 30% change management. I mean, obviously they have a huge or, or a kind of very able change team below them of kind of very specific change management pr practitioners, but they have to understand transformation and change, I think, to some degree. Uh, but they are probably more business um, than change. Uh, it's not a program manager, but equally it's probably not like a CFO. It's, it's someone in the middle and these people are hard to find. Uh, they, they, they don't grow on trees. So, I mean, that's the kind of step one is find your transformation lead. That's the, the kind of the hook that everything else hangs on. You were talking about upfront planning. If you <laughs> Yeah, I, I've got a bit of a bee in my bonnet about this. Um, I come from a, a massive agile background, agile culture, and I see people all the time saying, well, agile means you don't plan. And that's complete nonsense. I mean, it's complete nonsense. I mean, if you're, if you're trying to do a transformation that is in the hundreds of millions, 
I mean, the fact that you shouldn't do an upfront plan to me is ludicrous. And I think it's just negligent. I mean, you go in with the full expectation that your plan will probably be wrong. In fact, it's 100% chance to be wrong. But you have to do that planning. You have to make sure that you can have at least line of sight to your transformation outcome. Because if you can't make something work on paper, why do you think it will suddenly work in the real world? So I think it's really important to do upfront planning with the understanding of what we call the knowledge time curve. So when you start a transformation or before you start a transformation, you have almost no knowledge because you haven't done anything. And over time, you grow more and more knowledge and more and more certainty. And at that point, you should be iterating your plan. So at every TAM, every transformation accountability meeting, which is monthly, you're looking at the plan and you're saying, OK, what new information do we have and how has my transformation business case changed? And you're saying, well, great, everything's still on track. We can still make this. Or you know what? I don't think this transformation is going to hit its objectives. Alert, alert. You have to do something at that point. Go back to the board and say, this business case is at risk. What do you want to do? Do you want to carry on? Do you want to have a lower objective? Do you want to stop? And those are all very valid conversations. Stopping is not the admission of defeat. Spending $50 million with for no measurable increase in enterprise value, that is defeat. One of the big things about transformation for me is when you set out, you don't know what you don't know. So what you're talking about makes a whole lot of sense. What else is important about the hero transformation model for our listeners? I mean, I think it's really important to understand what is a transformation. I'd really like to write something about this. I should get around to doing it. I'm a bit, bit busy, but I think people have very varied definitions of what is a transformation. And so we actually try to put a stake in the ground of, of, of a definition. Now, we're not saying we're right. We're just saying we've had a go at doing it. So our definition is a transformation is a large change program initiated due to a dissatisfaction with current business results that cannot be rectified through business as usual with a positive material impact on enterprise value. A lot of buzzwords there. So let me break that down for a second. So a large change program. So what that means is this is a temporary structure. It's something that is big. It, it's it's gnarly. It's difficult. Uh, it's something where you're going to have to stand up a strong business case with a temporary organization. Initiated due to a dissatisfaction with current business results, this is the best time to do a transformation. My sales are too low. My profit is too low. My cost is too high. We're getting killed by competitors. Our customers are leaving us because that creates the momentum at board level. Because when it hits someone's pocket, they're much more likely to do something. Cannot be rectified through business as usual. If you're looking to increase your sales 1%, that is not a transformation. Just give that to your BAU sales teams and say, hey, hit that 1%. If you're looking for a 100% increase, unlikely your existing BAU teams are going to do that. So we have to have something that cannot be rectified through business as usual. And then the most important point of all, it must have a positive material impact on enterprise value. So what does that mean? It means if you spend 10 million or 100 million, you must have a disproportionate increase in the value of your company afterwards. So if you spend 10 million, you want the valuation of your company at the end of the transformation to be 20 million more, 50 million more, 100 million more. So this is really important. And this is thing that is missed. You spend money because you want to increase the valuation or the worthiness of your organization somehow. And I think that is the bit that is often missed. In planning, it's missed in the business case, uh, it's missed all the way along. When you end the transformation, there should be a material impact on the value of your company. And I think that's really important. So that's our stab at uh, what a transformation actually is. 
and then people use the word digital transformation. Yes, a transformation could be digital, but equally, it could be reorganizing or revamping your physical supply chain. It could be taking cost out of your real estate. Um, it's anything that meets that definition. Thank you. Great stuff. Absolute pleasure. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Change Management Review Podcast with Brian Gorman, Managing Editor of Change Management Review, and Eric Harbaugh. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and like us on LinkedIn.